Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 35, and I appreciate you guys listening to it. And another fantastic week this past week in sports. Uh, Major League Baseball is officially underway, and uh, we handed out a couple national championships in college basketball this past week. And looking forward to this week in front of us, man, it's the greatest golf tournament on the schedule, and that's the Masters. A big one to get into, so let's not waste any time. We're going to start off in the PGA Tour and talk about uh, last weekend was the Valero Texas Open which was held at TPC San Antonio as a par 72 distance 7,494 yards. This event was not played last year uh, due to where it fell on the schedule. Of course, it it occurred after the pandemic started, so uh, this event got nixed. But there was a decent field. Uh, We were coming off the heels of um, the WGC Dell Technology match play, so... A lot of big-name guys didn't participate, especially since it's the week before the Masters. Uh, but we still had a few few good top-flight players out there. Now, the weather was an issue in this one. Uh, it actually impacted Saturday's third round by delaying the tee times uh, two hours. And then Sunday's final round tee times got bumped up uh, about an hour or two uh, to beat any potential weather that was going to occur in the evening so the weekend normally after the cuts are made the weekend rounds are played in pairs the tee times are are pairings instead of groups groups are three pairs or two thursday and friday they play in groups saturday and sunday they play in pairs well this weekend due to the uh time constraint they actually played in pairs and they played the same format that you would uh, on thursday and friday where you have half the guys start on the front nine, half the guys start on the back nine. So that was kind of interesting to see. <clears throat> Didn't really affect any any of the players necessarily. Um, but in the end, the winner was Jordan Spieth with a score of 18 under par. And this was Spieth's 12th career victory on tour and, and his first career, first victory in 83 starts. All right, so 12th career victory first in his last 83 starts. He had not won on tour in 1,351 days uh, since the 2017 Open Championship at Royal Birkdale. So it had been a long time since Jordan Spieth uh, was in the winner's circle. And man, he looked fantastic all weekend. He was on point uh, in 72 holes uh, over the course of the four rounds. He one-putted 44 out of 72 holes over the weekend. And that is uh, that is classic Jordan Spieth. When his putter is on like that, uh, he's definitely one of the best players in the world. And that's not to mention how good his wedge play was this past weekend. Uh, he had complete control on that, uh, of those wedges and his putter. Uh, he had that ball on a string when he was hitting it with the wedge. So... It is nice to see Jordan Spieth back. He jumped from uh, number 53, I think, in the world rankings uh, to 38, I believe, uh, after that win. And he's starting to get back up to where he deserves to be because uh, when Jordan Spieth is playing like he has, um, he is absolutely a top golfer in the world. I mean, he's <clears throat> he's a major champion. And he is really a top-flight golfer when he uh, has everything going. But uh, second place was Charlie Hoffman, 16 under par. And 
Charlie Hoffman started off Thursday's opening round with a, a three over 75, which not good. But then uh, Friday, he shot six under 66. Saturday was seven under 65. And then on Sunday, he closed with another six under 66, which actually could have been lower. Um, he kind of struggled a few of the last uh, several holes. Uh, he had a chance to actually tie Jordan Spieth, I think around hole 16 possibly, uh, but he just couldn't hit the big shots when he needed to, uh, and Spieth was, and so that was the difference. But So Hoffman was two shots behind Spieth. Third place was two shots behind Hoffman at 14 under par, and that was Matt Wallace. And Matt Wallace played fantastic golf all weekend. Uh, his worst round was actually on Sunday, and that was uh, a two under, 70. So Wallace was actually 12 under heading into Sunday's final round. Uh, he was in that final group uh, with Spieth, and, uh, you know, he just he played really well. Uh, he had a couple of errant shots uh, in the final round that probably cost him a chance to really contend, but he looked good all weekend. Uh, fourth place was Lucas Glover, two shots behind Wallace at 12 under. Uh, Glover, nothing real fancy here. Uh, he fired a 5 under 67 Friday and a 6 under 66 on Sunday. Fifth place was two shots behind Glover, and that was Anir Ben Lahiri, and he was at 10 under. I've never even heard of this golfer until this weekend. Uh, but he shot an even par 72 on Thursday and Saturday and then shot a 5-under 67 Friday and a 4-under 68 on Sunday. And that was good enough for 10-under and a 5th-place finish. But let's check out Rick's picks to click for, uh, from the Valero Texas Open. The first one I gave you was Jordan Spieth. And we just talked about how he did. Uh, he won the tournament, 18 under par, uh, looked fantastic. He is back in the winner's circle for the first time in almost 1,400 days, and he is uh, steadily climbing his way up the world golf rankings, uh, sitting now at 38 after that, moving up uh, almost 20 spots. <clears throat> so I definitely clicked on him. Obviously, uh, he won. My second pick to click was Matt Kuchar. Uh, he had done historically really well at this course. He was 8 for 8, four top 15s in his career uh, at TPC San Antonio. So he went out there, he fired a 7 under, which was good for a T12. So he got a top 12 finish. Uh, Kuchar actually had three consecutive rounds, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, were all 2 under 70s, rounds of 2 under 70. And then he closed on Sunday with a 1 under 71. So he just didn't have enough gas, but uh, he came off that third-place finish at the Dell, and uh, he you know, looked, looked pretty good uh, this past weekend at uh, the Valero Texas Open. So I clicked on Kuchar as well. And my final pick to click uh, was, was Tony Finau. He, you know, he, he hadn't really played TPC San Antonio uh, but just a couple of times. He finished tied for third here in 2017, but... He hadn't had a top 10 finish in several weeks after his really hot start, so i like for him to get back on the horse this week, but such was not the case because he uh, came out Thursday and shot a 1 over 73, and then Friday a 2 over 74, which was uh, 3 over through 2 rounds, good enough to miss the cut. So he just couldn't get it going. Very disappointing weekend for Finau, especially heading into the, the Masters. Uh, he's one of those guys one of those good golfers that has never won a major. So disappointing for him to play like that the week before the Masters. So when it was all said and done, I clicked on two of the three, including picking the winner. So uh, definitely uh, did well on the old picks to click this week. But here we are this week. As the title of this episode says, welcome to Augusta. And we are at the Masters, the 85th Masters. It's at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. It's a par 72, distance 7,475 yards. The purse 
is $11.5 million. It's a major championship, and it's about that green jacket. The winner gets the coveted green jacket that we just saw get awarded back in November. Uh, the 2020 Masters got pushed from April to November for the very first time ever. And Dustin Johnson was your winner with a ridiculous score of 20 under par. Dustin Johnson set the scoring record for the Masters uh, just back in November, some five months ago. And he had a five-shot victory. And, uh, man, that was very impressive. And you got to believe that DJ wants to win this thing twice in five months. That would be very historic. But, as I mentioned, this is the first time uh, that the Masters is actually going to be played as consecutive major championships. So, um, Masters was the most recent major and here we are, it's the first major on the calendar this year. So it's the first time that that's happened. Now, the weather is going to be very different from November uh, as far as the uh, the, the wind and the, the sun and uh, possible rain or anything. But as always, I've been watching the practice rounds. The course looks absolutely impeccable uh, as usual. And, and, you know, of course, the field itself is, you know, every all, all of the top golfers in the world are going to be out there. It's the Masters. They don't need to explain that. But Brooks Kepka, I told you uh, your last episode or the, the one before that, that he had a knee surgery and uh, back on March the 16th. And so I guess it was a few episodes ago. Basically, it was a cleanup procedure and his status for the Masters was in doubt. Well, Brooks Kepka's playing. And he was asked about his knee, and he said that he can't bend down, uh, but he's going to give it his all. And uh, he's going to need to uh, rest up on that because he's got a long weekend ahead, and if you get into them pine needles, you don't really have good grip when you swing. So, But uh, I would rather, I would take Brooks Kepka in a major championship on one knee than I would uh, over most golfers on tour. That's just how it goes. But here are some notable, uh, groups for the first two rounds as far as, uh, the groupings. Uh, Rory McIlroy is paired with John Rahm and Xander Shoffley. Jordan Spieth is paired with Cam Smith and Colin Morikawa. Dustin Johnson is paired with Lee Westwood and, uh, amateur Tyler Strafacci. Brooks Kepka is paired with Bubba Watson and Victor Hovland. Justin Thomas is paired with Tony Finau and Louis Oosthuizen. Adam Scott is paired with Bryson DeChambeau and Max Homa. And Phil Mickelson is paired with Scotty Scheffler and Tommy Fleetwood. So a bunch of good groupings there. And looking at these practice rounds, having watched those the past couple days, they're reporting that the greens are very firm and very fast uh, so far through the practice rounds, which um, is going to make for difficult scoring. There's also going to be uh, weather might be an issue over the weekend, and if that's the case, uh, then scoring is going to be at a premium, and we are not going to see the scores that we saw in November, uh, 15, 20 under par that Dustin Johnson won. That's just not going to happen this week based on how the course is, is looking. But that makes it good. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of these tournaments. They get to 20, 25 under par. I just think that uh, I, I like it when it's a challenge for the golfers and uh, it's kind of a lower-scoring tournament because then that kind of opens it up to anybody's, anybody's game. But let's check out Rick's Picks to Click for the 85th edition of the Masters. I'll start you off with Cameron Smith. He's ranked number 30 in the world. He finished tied for second here in November to go along with a tied for fifth place finish here uh, in 2018. He also, in his last four starts, he's finished uh, fourth at Riviera, T11 at the World Golf Championship concession, T17 at TPC Sawgrass. So he's coming in hot. The mullet has game. Uh, he's got a fantastic mullet. 
Cam Smith knows how to play. Uh, I like for him, based on his recent uh, performance over the last several weeks and uh, his last uh, two out of his last three uh, appearances here in the Masters have been top five finishes. Give me Cam Smith to finish inside the top 25. My second pick to click this weekend is John Rahm. He's ranked number three in the world. Uh, he's never won a major championship. Now is a good time to do that. Uh, Rahm finished tied for seventh here in November a couple months ago, and he's finished inside the top ten in each of the last three Masters. Uh, him and Dustin Johnson are the only ones to do that. Uh, Rahm is actually making his fifth start here at Augusta and his first as a father. John Rahm and his wife, they gave birth to their baby boy uh, last weekend, so congrats to him. So he's got a little extra momentum heading into this thing. And 10 out of Rahm's 11, uh, last 11 rounds. So 10 out of the last 11 rounds that John Rahm has played at the Masters, he's been under par. So he's been really owning this course. The stars are just aligned for him to capture his first major championship. But my final pick to click for the Masters is Justin Thomas. He's ranked number two in the world, and he just won about a month ago at the Players' Championship after just a complete gritty performance and a ridiculous weekend uh, couple of rounds over the weekend. And Justin Thomas is currently first in putts uh, per green in regulation, first in putting, birdies are better, and second in adjusted scoring. He's uh, five for five in his career at the Masters and cuts made, uh, including a personal best fourth here in November. And in those five trips to Augusta, he's actually improved his finishing spot every year he's played. So if he continues that trend in this year's Masters, there ain't a whole lot of room for improvement uh, moving up from fourth. Uh, he has only, surprisingly, he's only won one major championship. Uh, has not won the green jacket. He absolutely will win this tournament one day, and I do not see why that cannot be this weekend. But it is going to be a fantastic weekend at the Masters. Love this tournament. It's one of my favorite tournaments of the year. And uh, we have uh, quite the field, and there will be quite the show this weekend, so be sure to tune in to the Masters this weekend. But we'll move over to the NCAA and college basketball, and March Madness has officially come to an end. And Man, what a crazy Final Four that was. Uh, we'll start off on the men's side. The first game was number one Baylor versus number two Houston. And Baylor just completely dominated that game from start to finish en route to a 78-59 victory. That win advanced Baylor to their first national championship game since 1948. Now, the second game was uh, by far the more thrilling of the two, and that was number one Gonzaga versus number 11 UCLA. Uh, UCLA was the Cinderella story getting to the Final Four as an 11 seed. And this game was absolutely bonkers and probably one of the most epic Final Four games in history, really, uh, I would say. The game was back and forth and ended up going into overtime. And that's not where the drama stopped. Uh, UCLA, Johnny Juzang, he missed a layup and then got his own rebound and put it back in to tie the game at 90 with five seconds left in overtime. So then Gonzaga inbounded the ball, got it to their freshman phenom, Jalen Suggs. Suggs ran it down the floor with a few dribbles and uh, pulled up at just past half court uh, and basically took a half court jump shot. Got a good look. Fantastic shot. Bounced off the backboard and went in. As the buzzer went off, time expired to give Gonzaga a 93-90 to victory over UCLA. Just unbelievable. And 
uh, I, I saw a meme that uh, was a Twitter post from Shooter McGavin. Of course, you know, if you watch uh, movies and, you know, Happy Gilmore, Shooter McGavin said that uh, Jalen Suggs' bank shot was the best bank shot he's seen since Happy Gilmore's putt off of the Volkswagen in 96. So, and I agree, that was just absolutely fantastic shot by Suggs. That was going in the whole time. Uh, he let it go. Mark Few, the coach of the Bulldogs, said that he knew it was in as soon as Suggs let it rip. And uh, so that sent Gonzaga to the national championship game, making them the 10th team ever to enter the national championship game as an undefeated team. So that set up a Gonzaga-Baylor national championship game, which I had correctly predicted in last week's episode. But what I didn't predict was a Baylor victory in that game. And Baylor didn't just win, they dominated. Uh, Baylor beat Gonzaga in the national championship game 86-70 to uh, to win their first ever national title. And Baylor never trailed in this game, okay? They were, they won. It was a wire-to-wire victory. The biggest lead at one point in the game was 20 points in the second half. The lead was 20 points for Baylor. Their defense was absolutely stifling. And uh, ESPN college basketball analyst Seth Greenberg used to coach in college basketball. Now he's a, an analyst, one of the senior analysts for college basketball. He said that that was the best defensive performance that he's seen since the 89-90 UNLV team. And that Baylor just wasn't good on the defensive side. They were good on the offensive side. It really seemed like Baylor was getting every rebound and every shot that they would throw up would go in. Whereas Gonzaga, they didn't seem to make any shot. They missed a few free throws in the second half. And it just, you could tell that this game was over. Uh, and But Baylor, they were, they, they came into this game as an elite three-point shooting team. And man, that was on full display. They went 10 from 23 from beyond the arc. And Gonzaga was only 5 of 17 from three. So they made twice as many threes as Gonzaga, Baylor did. And then Baylor also out-rebounded Gonzaga 38 to 22. That's a plus 16 advantage in rebounds. That is massive. Um, Baylor also committed five fewer turnovers than Gonzaga. And it was just, like I said, if you watched the game, which I'm sure most of you probably did, uh, it was it was almost difficult to watch because of how good Gonzaga was throughout the year. I mean, there was NBA talent on both sides there all over the floor in that game. Uh, each team's best players showed up to play uh, in that game. Uh, for Baylor, your scoring leaders, Jared Butler, 22 points. Macy Oteague, 19 points. Davion Mitchell, 15 points. And Aaron Flagler, uh, Adam Flagler, rather, uh, 13 points. Gonzaga, Jalen Suggs, 22 points. Drew Tim, uh, yeah, Drew Timmy, 12 points. Corey Kispert, 12 points. And that pretty much wrapped up the scoring for Gonzaga. Uh, a few of their bench guys had eight or nine points, but those three accounted for most of the Gonzaga points. And this stat is absolutely outrageous. Uh, for the last 129 minutes and 35 seconds of game time in the tournament, so that's the Sweet 16 versus Villanova, the Elite Eight for Ar- uh, versus Arkansas, f- Final Four game versus Houston, and the National Title game versus Gonzaga. Baylor only trailed for one minute and 34 seconds out of that 100 and almost 30 minutes of game time. That is just absolutely insane. And that really shows you just how dominant this Baylor team was. Now, we were supposed to see Baylor versus Gonzaga. I believe it was on the schedule in December. Uh, But uh, Baylor had a bunch of positive COVID tests, so that game actually got canceled. So this is the game that we should have had in the regular season. Instead, it just so happens that, uh, as fate would have it, that they met in the national title game, and uh, Baylor just completely dominated that game that Baylor 
that that was a performance for the ages. Uh, and if you watch that game, you understand why. Both ends of the floor just really just outplayed Gonzaga. Now, the most outstanding player of the 2021 men's NCAA basketball tournament was Jared Butler from Baylor. He is a surefire, probably lottery pick here in this upcoming draft. I don't see him sliding outside of the top 10 picks. But uh, on the women's side for college hoops, last week I made you just a couple of brief predictions. Uh, The first game was South Carolina versus Stanford. I picked South Carolina. That didn't happen. Stanford won. And then I picked UConn over Arizona. That didn't happen. Uh, Arizona beat UConn 69-59. And Stanford beat South Carolina in a very close game, 66-65. So that set up a national title game between two teams that I didn't pick. That would be Stanford and Arizona. And it was a good old Pac-12 rivalry matchup there for the national title. And in the end, the Stanford Cardinal came out on top with a 54-53 victory. It was another close game. These two teams had played each other multiple times throughout the year. Uh, So you knew it was going to be a tight one. Uh, But interesting fact about Stanford, I didn't know this. Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, his little sister, Anna, actually plays on Stanford. So she is a national champion as a member of the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll move over to the National Basketball Association, and we'll hit a standings update here. And some interesting news in basketball here. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, as it currently sits, the Brooklyn Nets are still uh, the number one seed, 36-16. and 16. Now, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They've won 8 out of their last 10, okay? And Kevin Durant just came back to the lineup this week after missing the last 23 games with a hamstring strain. He hadn't played since February uh, 13th. Now, the Brooklyn Nets, okay, they got all these fancy pieces. You know, they got James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and then they've since added LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, who have proven to be way more than worth it for them. But as far as the big three, Durant, Irving, and Harden, the Nets have only played seven games this year with all three of those guys healthy and in the lineup. Seven games, that's it. And they didn't even have uh, Harden. Uh, Kevin Durant came back uh, Wednesday night against the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Nets just dominated the Pelicans 139-111. to and Kevin Durant's return. KD actually came off the bench in this one. He only played 19 minutes. He had 17 points and 7 rebounds. 5 of 5 from the field. Tells you what kind of impact that Durant has. Uh, Durant is just, he's obviously a top, uh, probably three player in the league. Uh, one of the best scorers in the league. The dude can just ball. And it's it's pretty scary to think that uh, they've only played seven out of their 52 games so far uh, with with their three big guys there. But second place in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia 76ers at 35 and 16. Milwaukee Bucks are third at 32 and 18. Charlotte Hornets, they're still hanging around without Lamelo Ball uh, out for the year, 26 and 24. The Atlanta Hawks, 27 and 25. Miami Heat. 26 and 25. Boston Celtics, they are 26 and 26. New York Knicks, still currently a playoff team as it sits now at 25 and 27. Indiana Pacers, 23 and 27. Uh, Chicago Bulls, 21 and 28. Toronto Raptors, 20 and 31. Cleveland Cavaliers, 18 and 32. Washington Wizards also 18 and 32. Both of those teams have only won three out of their last 10. The Orlando Magic, they've lost three in a row. Uh, 17 and 34 is their record. You knew they'd slide with all the trades that they made, uh, getting rid of uh, Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon. Um, Detroit Pistons last in the East at 15 and 36. 
And move over to the Western Conference. The Utah Jazz are still your top team in the West at 38-13. and 13. They are on a two-game losing streak, but they've won eight out of their last ten. The Phoenix Suns, they continue to be uh, one of the hottest teams in the league. They are 36-14, and 14, just a game and a half behind Utah. They've won seven in a row and nine out of their last ten. So the Suns are definitely a legit team this year. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers are third in the West at 34-18. and 18. They've won eight out of their last ten. Now, the Denver Nuggets, they are up to fourth place in the Western Conference at 33-18. and 18. They've won seven games in a row, eight out of their last ten. And since the trade deadline, when they acquired Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic, they're 5-0. and oh. So, Gordon's making his presence felt. That team is rolling. You put Gordon with uh, Nikola Jokic. Man, that team is uh, that team is scrappy, and I would not want to play them in the first round of the playoffs. That's for sure. The fifth place team in the Western Conference right now is the Los Angeles Lakers, and that's very interesting because they continue to slide. They don't have uh, LeBron. They don't have AD back yet, <clears throat> and it's a. Uh, I mentioned that slide that, that you could pay attention to a couple episodes ago when we when LeBron got hurt. I don't think they'll fall too far. There's still a game and a half in front of Portland, who's in sixth at 30 and 20. Dallas Mavericks, 28 and 22. They've won seven out of their last 10. Now, the Mavericks had a huge win against the Jazz uh, the other night and then followed that up with an absolute stinker and lost to the Houston Rockets. But the eighth-place team in the West right now is the Memphis Grizzlies at 26-23. and 23. They've won four games in a row to uh, pass the Spurs. Speaking of the Spurs, they're 24-25. and 25. They've lost four in a row. They've only won two out of their last eight. Golden State Warriors, 24-27. and 27. New Orleans Pelicans, 22-29. Sacramento Kings, 22-29. and 29. Oklahoma City Thunder, 20-31. and 31. Both the Kings and the Thunder have lost four games in a row. Houston Rockets, they just beat my Mavericks. They're 14-37. and 37. Minnesota Timberwolves, 13-39. and 39. So, uh, a very uh, competitive Western Conference we have. Uh, Western Conference is uh, usually a little more competitive than the East. Uh, the records are, are a lot better. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Lakers are in desperate need of some help. They just got Andre Drummond, uh, after he was uh, released. So hopefully he can make a, start to make an impact because the Lakers are, are, are falling, um, seemingly one spot every week here. But, uh, yeah, NBA season is, uh, getting wrapped up here in the next, uh, 20 or so games, 18 games left in the regular season. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, especially now that we're, we're post-trade uh, deadline. Uh, but we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update there. There's some big news. We'll start off in the Scotia North Division because that's where the major news is, and that's the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have not played in a couple of weeks. That's because they've had a full-on... COVID outbreak. Uh, as it sits now, currently there are 21 Vancouver Canucks players that are on the COVID list. And the weird thing is that the Canadian borders closed international travel. So it makes you wonder how uh, the original person contracted it. Well, they, they did some contact tracing and they discovered a single carrier that contracted the virus in a public setting, which then spread it uh, throughout the team members. Now, it's the this this strand of COVID that the players have on the Canucks is the Brazilian variant of the virus, which has different side effects uh, such as vomiting, cramping, and dehydration. And that's not good if you're a professional athlete. Uh, you kind of don't need to be doing any of those things. So uh, this is kind of it's pretty scary because it's it's spread so fast uh, throughout the team. There's no end in sight, really. Uh, the Canucks aren't sure when they're going to be able to 
play their next game. Now, they have played 37 games, which is still not the fewest. uh, Well, I take that back. I guess it is. They're tied with Dallas for the fewest amount of games played and New Jersey uh, at the moment. Boston's right there as well. But a little standings update in the Scotia North Division. Toronto Maple Leafs, they just continue to win. They've won eight out of their last ten, five in a row. Uh, goalie Jack Campbell's won ten starts in a row. Franchise leader in that and for a very historic franchise. The Maple Leafs are 27-10-3. Edmonton Oilers, 24-14-2. Winnipeg Jets, 23-13-3. Montreal Canadiens, 17-10-9. Vancouver Canucks 16-18-3. Calgary Flames 16-21-3. They've lost four in a row. They've only won two out of their last ten. The Ottawa Senators 13-23-4. The Honda West Division. Colorado Avalanche have overtaken the top spot, and they look very good at the moment. They've won seven out of their last ten. They are 26-9-4. The Vegas Golden Knights are 25-11-2. Minnesota Wild, 24-12-2. Arizona Coyotes have overtaken the St. Louis Blues for the fourth spot in the West. 19-16-5. They've won seven out of their last ten. The Blues, they've only won three out of their last ten. They're 17-16-6. San Jose Sharks, 17-17-4. Los Angeles Kings, 15-17-6. Anaheim Ducks, 12-21-7. In the Discover Central Division, the Florida Panthers still up top at 26-10-4. Carolina Hurricanes, 26-9-3. They are uh, one of two teams to not have double-digit regulation losses. The other being the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Tampa Bay's third in the Central, 26-11-2. Nashville Predators, they're up to fourth in the Central, 21-18-1. They've won eight out of their last ten, playing really good hockey. Chicago Blackhawks, 18-17-5. Columbus Blue Jackets, 15-18-8. And now there's talk of trading their captain, uh, Nick Foligno. Uh, seventh in the Central is the Dallas Stars. My Stars, they've lost two in a row. They are 13, 14, and 10. Just a very strange, strange record. They lead the league in overtime losses, and it just feels like they're stuck in neutral. Uh, They just can't. Every time they win a game, they'll lose two. Or if they win two, they'll lose two or three. They just can't get out of neutral. But they're only... uh, seven points behind Nashville for that fourth spot with uh, three games in hand. So they got some winning to do. Last place in the Central is the Detroit Red Wings at 13-22-6. Now in the Mass Mutual East Division, Washington Capitals are 25-10-4. New York Islanders, 25-10-4 as well. Three-game winning streak for the Islanders who just made a Pretty big trade. We'll talk about that and around the island. Pittsburgh Penguins, 24-13-2. Boston Bruins, 20-10-6. The New York Rangers, 18-15-5. Philadelphia Flyers, 18-15-5 as well. New Jersey Devils, 13-18-6. The Buffalo Sabres, 9-23-6. They had lost 20 games in a row, or 18 games in a row. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. They've lost 18 games in a row, then they won, then they've lost a few. But they're on a two-game winning streak, so good for them. They're the only team that has uh, single-digit wins at the moment, and that is there's talk of trading Jack Eichel. At least they're fielding offers for Jack Eichel. But we'll have... More on the NHL and around the island uh, with regards to a trade that went down this past week. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball. 
And we are officially underway. The season has begun. We are a week in. Uh, most teams have played uh, between five to seven games, uh, except the Washington Nationals, who, before the season even started, had a couple of positive COVID tests to start the season. So their opening series against the New York Mets was postponed. Uh, now, they did start their season Tuesday against the Atlanta Braves after having no new positive tests over the weekend. And the Nationals and Braves did play a doubleheader uh, on Wednesday to get some games in. But this first week in baseball, uh, it's only been a week. I don't really think we need to go through a standings update at the moment. Uh, it's the first week in the season. But we had some some pretty good entertainment uh, so far the first week in Major League Baseball. Kind of some highlights of, of the first week. We had uh, two benches clearing uh, incidents this week. The first came uh, on Saturday. It was between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds. And Cincinnati Reds outfielder Nick Castellanos got hit by a pitch uh, from St. Louis pitcher Jake Woodford. Kind of chirped at him as he uh, walked to first. Well, Castellanos came around and scored on a wild pitch a couple batters later, right under Woodford's tag. And uh, Castellanos got up and started barking at him, and they kind of got in each other's face, and uh, some benches cleared. Castellanos actually got a two-game suspension for that. Uh, but the other benches clearing incident was between the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers. And Wilson Contreras got hit by a pitch, uh, pointed and yelled at the pitcher, and kind of slowly walked that way. Never charged the mound. There wasn't a fight, but, of course, that drew the attention of everybody. So uh, a couple of um, incidents there. Now another incident involving the Brewers. It was their opening uh, series on Sunday against the Minnesota Twins. Home plate umpire... C.B. Buckner took a foul ball off of his chin. It bounced off the ground and straight up into his chin underneath his mask. Kind of stunned him, and he had to step back. Well, the Milwaukee Brewers trainer, Dave Yeager, goes out there to check on C.B. Buckner. And Yeager, after tending to Buckner, uh, seems to basically pass out and kind of collapse. But they caught him. Fortunately... Both Buckner, the ump, and Jaeger, the trainer, were okay after several minutes. Uh, the Twins trainer had to come out and help Jaeger, the uh, Brewers trainer, after he'd passed out. So kind of a scary deal there, but glad everybody's okay. And then uh, another piece of news interesting that I, th- I thought it was interesting is Los Angeles Angels pitcher uh, slash designated hitter Shohei Otani. He's kind of been uh, hit or miss so far in his MLB career. Um, I don't think he's been quite the, the the pitching hitting phenom that they originally thought they were getting. But uh, Sunday, he was a starting pitcher for the Angels in their game. And he actually hit in the lineup. Instead of having a designated hitter, Otani actually hit as a pitcher and which was it's very interesting to see that so not only did Otani pitch he came up to he was second in the batting order and in the bottom of the first inning he came up and just mashed a solo home run it went like 470 feet or something just absolutely mashed this thing and after that game uh, it was uh, discovered that Shohei Otani at that point in the season, had thrown the fastest pitch out of any starting pitcher this season at 100.6 miles an hour. And then he also had the hardest hit home run by any player with an exit velocity of 115.2 miles an hour. So if he continues that all year, he is going to be very, very interesting to watch because uh, he's... Proved on Sunday he can hit, he can pitch, he can do it all, and he's damn good at both of those things. So uh, good deal for the Angels if they can get him rolling because uh, they need him. They're paying him a lot of money. and uh, But, yeah, baseball is off and running, and uh, it's already given us quite a bit of drama and interesting news to talk about. So 
glad baseball's back. It's uh, great seeing it back and um, should be an interesting season with all these uh, COVID situations that are already starting to happen. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do the quick hit news from all the different sports. And uh, it's not as not as busy this week from around the island, but we do have some, some decent news to get into. We'll start off in the NFL. That's where the biggest news is here in Around the Island. It's the National Football League. And there was a big trade that went down this past week. It involved the New York Jets and the Carolina Panthers. The Jets traded their starting quarterback, Sam Darnold, to the Panthers in exchange for Carolina's sixth-round pick this year, next month's uh, draft, as well as a second- and a fourth-round pick in the 2022 draft next year. So I think it's a win-win for both of these teams. Uh, Good trade. Uh, The Jets, they got more for Sam Darnold than they were probably thinking they were going to get. I think the Jets would have been fine with probably... Uh, just a second-round pick, maybe a, a sixth-round pick thrown in. Uh, but they got three draft picks for Darnold, which is more than they expected to get. And then from the Carolina perspective, Sam Darnold's only 23 years old. This is third year in the league. Uh, he is hes tested, that's for sure. He uh, has made a lot of mistakes. He's learned from the mistakes. He's... He's uh, the same age as Kyle Trask, who's a uh, University of Florida quarterback that's coming out uh, of the draft this year. So he's he's came into the NFL very young. Now, and everyone ripped Sam Darnold for being horrible, uh, but he was never really given a fair chance uh, in New York. The Jets, the whole time he was in New York, Sam Darnold, the Jets had a horrible head coach, Adam Gase, and a garbage team around him with absolutely zero weapons. No help for Darnold. So what else would you expect from a young quarterback with a horrible coach and no weapons? Of course he's going to stink. So yeah, I think Sam Darnold's been kind of a disappointment being drafted third overall a few years ago. But he moves to Carolina now, and he gets an immediate upgrade at every position. Offensive line, of course, you have Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the defense for Carolina is very stout. They spent all their draft picks last year on defense. So uh, they are. They got Robbie Anderson, who uh, reunites with Sam Darnold, wide receiver. Uh, so that they'll have chemistry there. And I actually saw a video online of Sam Darnold's family and friends throwing him a, like a surprise party for being traded to Carolina. So the video starts, like, he walks into this party, and they say, you know, surprise, or they start cheering. And it's got black and teal, like, balloons and, like, Panthers colors decor. And the very first thing Sam Darnold did was cheer and then grab a Carolina Panthers hat that was sitting on the table and put it on. So you know that Darnold is super excited to leave New York. And he goes to a team that has Matt Rule, as the quarter, uh, the the head coach, and Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. And if you saw what Joe Brady did with Sam Darnold, I mean uh, Joe Burrow uh, for LSU a couple years ago, you got to be excited if you're Sam Darnold because he's going to turn that offense uh, upside down compared to what it has been. So I think uh, that the Darnold trade, Darnold going to Carolina is, is big. I think he'll be their quarterback for uh, the foreseeable future. Now, with that Sam Darnold trade, this is the first time in the common draft era, which is since 1967, that five quarterbacks selected in the top three overall picks are going to be playing for a different team the following season. And that's per the Elias Sports Bureau. So you have Sam Darnold, who was with the Jets, now he's with the Panthers. Mitchell Trubisky was with the Chicago Bears. Now he's a Buffalo Bill. He was taken second overall in his draft. Jared Goff was the first overall pick. He was with the L.A. Rams. Now he's with the Detroit Lions because he got traded for Matthew Stafford, who was another first overall pick. He was from the Detroit Lions going to the Los Angeles Rams. And then a second overall pick uh, was Carson Wentz, who 
got traded from the Philadelphia Eagles to the Indianapolis Colts. So a lot of high high profile big name quarterbacks switching teams this offseason. Now some other NFL news. The NFL announced uh, that starting this season uh, NFL players' salaries are going to be paid over 36 weeks as opposed to the uh, 17, which it has been being paid. Now, that's not real substantial news. I just thought that was interesting that uh, when you calculate paychecks for the players this year, it's it's they've normally been calculated over 17 weeks. Now they're going to be more than double that, 36 weeks. So their paychecks will be a little bit smaller, but they're still going to be making the fat oodles of money that uh, they normally make. But the final piece of NFL news uh, deals with jersey numbers. And as you may or I guess may not know, depending on your position in the NFL, uh, you have certain range of numbers that your jersey number can be. Well, there was a proposal that was sent to the NFL that's going to allow certain position groups, such as defensive backs, linebackers, and running backs, to wear single-digit numbers because as of now, none of those position groups are able to do that. So under this proposal, a player could pick a jersey number within these ranges uh, with position. So uh, for quarterbacks, kickers, and punters, they'd be eligible to choose between uh, 1 through 19. Running backs... Tight ends and wide receivers would be able to choose 1 through 49, 80 through 89, uh, and that's it. Defensive backs, they could choose 1 through 49. Linebackers, 1 through 59, 90 through 99. Offensive linemen, 50 through 79. Defensive linemen, 50 through 79, 90 to 99. So, interesting. Uh, I don't see why that wouldn't pass. Uh, it's something new, something different. A lot of guys uh, would go back to their probably their college numbers and uh, do the single-digit thing on the defensive side of the ball. doesn't make a difference to me, uh, but those guys like to keep their numbers. Again, not really uh, important information. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, back over to Major League Baseball for a moment. Last week I mentioned how... Major League Baseball officially relocated the uh, 2021 All-Star Game. They pulled it from Atlanta due to the Georgia voting law. That is a new conservative Georgia voting law that went into effect that, you know, uh, made some people mad, and MLB decides that they're going to voice their form of protest and pull the All-Star Game out of Atlanta and move it to Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. So that was announced this past week. Instead of, if they were, I think they were wanting to have in Atlanta uh, to basically honor Hank Aaron, who played for the Braves, or in Atlanta. And um, then they pull it out of Atlanta and move it to Colorado instead of Milwaukee, which is the other team that uh, Hank Aaron played for. But, um, you know, MLB, I guess, knows what they're doing. And so I've been to Coors Field. It's a pretty sweet field, uh, Mile High City. Denver's a pretty neat little, neat little town. If you've ain't been up there, uh, pretty cool, pretty cool city. But uh, they'll Coors Field hasn't hosted it since uh, I think it was early 2000s, maybe late 90s, early 2000s when they uh, hosted it. Um, but, yeah, that's, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they get any more riffraff. But uh, over to the NBA. Milwaukee Bucks point guard Drew Holiday. They mutually agreed on a four-year contract extension worth up to $160 million. So they uh, the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday this past offseason or uh, beginning of the season. And uh, so they had to re-sign him. It was obviously wise. They made the investment to go get him. You got to re-sign him. Uh, Him and Giannis Antetokounmpo just make a great duo. Both of those guys are legitimate offensive weapons and uh, defensive weapons as well. 
Drew Holiday is probably the best defending point guard in the league, uh, certainly one of them. Uh, And then, of course, you know what Giannis can do on both sides of the ball as well. So I think if Milwaukee wants to stay competitive over the next few years with Giannis on that max contract, I think you had to sign Drew Holiday to help anchor that lineup. Now over to the National Hockey League. Trade happened in there. Uh, pretty pretty big trade, I'd say. New York Islanders and the New Jersey Devils were the teams involved. The Devils traded Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac over to the New York Islanders in exchange for A.J. Greer, Mason Jost, uh, and the Islanders' first-round pick this year in 2021 and a conditional fourth-round pick in 2022. So they, uh, it's a great trade for the Islanders. Uh, they get two plug-and-play guys for their competitive roster that they have to win right now. Uh, Paul Mary's first or second-line guy. Zajac's probably a, a third-line guy. But they get two good players uh, for their roster to win now. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, the New Jersey Devils, they're not making the playoffs this year in that competitive East division. So you might as well go ahead and get rid of some some bigger contracts and get some younger players and some draft picks. That's exactly what they did. And they got a first-round pick out of it. So can't complain if you're either team in this situation, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, I like the Islanders to win the East with that trade. Uh, unless, you know, the Bruins, the Penguins, or the Capitals make a trade between now and the trade deadline, which is coming up. So I'm sure we'll have more NHL trades to talk about here in the next episode or two, but that's it for now. Uh, now, back over to college basketball, University of North Carolina. I talked about last week how the head coach, Roy Williams, retired after uh, a ridiculous Hall of Fame career coaching and was wondering who was going to fill the shoes of Roy Williams. Well, They announced, uh, the University of North Carolina announced this past week that they have hired Hubert Davis as their new head coach. Now, Hubert Davis had been an assistant coach under Roy Williams for the past nine seasons. Uh, Davis actually also played for the University of North Carolina from 1988 to 1992, and he was a first-round pick of the New York Knicks. He spent 12 years in the NBA, then he was an analyst for ESPN before becoming an assistant coach at North Carolina and now replacing the legendary Roy Williams as the head coach. Uh, And he's the first minority head coach in North Carolina basketball program history, which is fantastic. Uh, It's a very uh, iconic and historic program that produced Michael Jordan. So uh, good for North Carolina on that hire and congrats to Coach Davis. But we'll wrap it up here in the PGA Tour, circle back there. A couple of quick announcements there. Nothing major. Uh, PGA Tour announced that uh, it's going to keep the Tour Championship, which is held. It's the FedEx Cup, last event in the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's held in Atlanta, the East Lake Golf Course. PGA Tour announced that uh, they're not moving the Tour Championship out of Atlanta uh, like the MLB did with their All-Star game. That, that's what prompted that announcement, of course. Uh, Tour Championship staying at Eastlake, uh, which is I, – I applaud the PGA Tour on that. Um, I, I told you I voiced my opinion on the MLB situation last week. I don't agree with that at all. But I applaud the PGA Tour for sticking to their guns. Uh, they also said that uh, since the uh, Masters is in Augusta, Georgia this week – that you know, obviously they they don't really have any concerns about that either about playing the Masters and you know I just it's a it's a law in one state that deals with voting. It's it's not not the end of the world. I think we probably have other things we should be worrying about, uh, but uh, it is what it is. So the PGA Tour uh, Tour Championship is staying in East Lake in Atlanta. That'll be later this uh, fall. Now the other. PGA News is the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. Uh, They are the ones that investigated the Tiger Woods vehicle crash back in February. Well, they announced this past week that they have investigated it and closed their investigation and that the cause of the crash was 
listed as excessive speed or TFF, too freaking fast. And the investigation revealed that Tiger Woods' vehicle had been traveling between 84 and 87 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone just prior to the crash and that it was traveling approximately 75 miles an hour when it struck a tree and overturned. So Woods is, uh, was going almost twice the speed limit on a her, uh, uh, hilly and curvy roadway that he was not familiar with. So I wouldn't say that was the best judgment call. Uh, it was early in the morning. I know he was trying to get somewhere, but uh, that was definitely reckless on Tiger Woods' part. They're not filing any charges, and uh, Tiger Woods has already he's been home rehabbing and everything like that. So uh, at least uh, luckily for all of us, Tiger Woods is okay. He'll be fine. He'll recover, and uh, hopefully he can get back out on the golf course here uh, before too long. But that's going to wrap up the 35th episode of the Sports Island podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Just a quick reminder that this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, so you can rate, review, and subscribe. You can also find the podcast on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. Look forward to the Masters this week, uh, another interesting week in Major League Baseball, and hopefully some more uh, interesting news from the other sports. But until next week, uh, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next time.